This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Getting just a little bit of feedback. We're working that out. So glad to be with you on the day after the Super Bowl. Kansas City was triumphant, but boy, oh boy. If Philly gives them a run for their money, Patrick Mahomes is the MVP, but Jalen Hurts, and as Patrick Mahomes said, he said he would have been the MVP had Philly been able to pull it out. They both had fantastic games. Fantastic games. To me, it was a very exciting Super Bowl. And then Rihanna having a baby. Oh, my gosh. I knew she wasn't doing a lot of moving. I knew she was a little full. But I said she just had a baby. Wow. She's having another baby. Congratulations to her. What a wonderful, wonderful game. I am Sam Peter Jackson. It's a joy to be with you. Coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. And, of course, meet my morning stars. Oh, boy, on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and on the Santita Jackson and Friends page. You'll see Daryl and Angela and Mark and Shirley from beautiful Philadelphia. Girl, it's so beautiful. Still beautiful. You have a whole lot to celebrate. Jalen Hurts is young yet. Huh. Joyce Anderson. And, oh, boy, so many of you, Guy and, and Daryl and so many others. I want you all to like and share the show. And if you want to hear the show without commercials, please go to WCPT820.com forward slash Santeed show. So, everybody, the Super Bowl fantastic, probably the most watched television event in America out of the one, top 100 television shows in the United States, 82, the 82 most watched television uh, shows in America are actually sports events. That's right. So, I mean, big business, ESPN watched all the networks. And boy, oh boy, yesterday, last night did not disappoint. So let's get to it, everybody. It's going to be very warm in this part of the country, Minneapolis and Chicago. Chicago will be 48 degrees today. And sunny, Minneapolis, 41 degrees today and sunny. Wow. Oh, and tonight, the NBA, the Timberwolves will be hosting the Mavericks, and the Magic will be here in Chicago with the Bulls. And in the NHL, the Panthers will be playing, playing, playing the wild. And you know what? We're going to be talking about Ukraine. What's going on? Why is it now that we'll be, we'll be getting to hear about the Nord Stream pipeline and America's well, America's role in blowing it up. Why is that significant as we're watching? Well, we're not watching the peace process roll on in Ukraine. And it's costing Americans, you and me, more and more and more and more money every single day, every single day. What is the buy-in? And what are our interests there? And why do we want the pipeline? That has upset our European allies. Then we're going to talk about the payroll rate. I want to know what... Who, well, who do you like? Actually, you know, let me thank New Beginnings Church, the rooftop pastor, Reverend Corey Brooks, was our hostess in all Saturday. But we had all the two of the mayoral candidates. Um, Mayor was not there. She had a prior commitment on the west side, and uh, Dr. Willie Wilson was not there because he also had another commitment. But everybody else was, and it was a forum, a forum, not a debate. Debates have people going back and forth. Forum, you ask people questions, and they give you their answers. 
And so we heard a lot of the candidates, the audience, you know, even though you tell people, you know, no booing, none of that. <laughs> people are very, very engaged, very engaged because the needs are great on the ground. And so, of course, yesterday on Keep Up Alive with Reverend Jesse Jackson, we talked about the need for an urban agenda because all of these major cities in the United States are dealing with fading infrastructures that are 100 years old. Uh, they're dealing with public schools that are underfunded. They don't have the money. Uh, you're dealing with a black exodus from Chicago and from other cities, but people who do not make a lot of money, people who are not affluent, black, white, brown, yellow, and red, cannot afford to live in these cities. So we have a lot, we talked about a lot, and we have a lot to talk about today. So I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, Hey, I'm so from... Fran, sending you much love. Thank you. You like my sweater. I needed it, but it's going to be 50 degrees. It might have to change. Anyway, Carol, how are you doing? Linear Bob is sending you much love today, everybody. Let's get to some of these headlines, some of these headlines so that we can get some good news from our gospel sister, Pam Morris. The Kansas City Chiefs won Super Bowl 57 in a thrilling 38-35 to 35 game. Yes, it came down to the fourth quarter, everybody. Of course, Philly ruled the first half, which is probably the first quarter. But then, after, this, after halftime, boy, Kansas City came on strong, and they never let uh, both high-powered offenses put on a show and displayed quarterback star power on both sides of the field. As I said, Patrick Mahomes, the eventual MVP, and Jalen Hurts both put on uh, the shows of a lifetime. Indeed, Patrick Holmes, the MVP, showing the tremendous respect that he and Jalen Hurts have for each other. He said, you know, um, had Philly won, he'd be the MVP. I think it's important to note that Mr. Omega Sci-Fi, Jalen Hurts, his management team, led by Delta, <coughs> thank you so much, <laughs> is um, is led by all black women. His lawyer, his manager, agents, everybody. Yeah, think about that. But they're both great, great young men. And I just I really enjoyed the game. And, um, and I'm looking forward to great things from them in the future. Congratulations to you, Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, and that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful city. U.S. fighter jets scrambled three days in a row to shoot down a trio of unidentified aerial objects high above North America. A jet shot down an unidentified object near Lake Huron on Sunday, marking the third time in a week that the U.S. military has taken down objects in North American in North America's airspace. On Saturday, an unidentified object was downed over northern Canada, a day after another object had been shot down over Alaska. Now you have the Chinese surveillance balloon, and now you've got these three objects. What do you think is going on, everybody? Do you think this is coming from hostile forces in the United States? What do you think these are other life forms? These are questions that a lot of people ought to be asking and are asking. Uh, The death toll across Turkey and Syria has risen to an incredible 36 Thousand people. Let us pray for the people of Turkey and Syria, everybody. Teams are still rushing to save victims, even eight days out. They are finding survivors. Let us pray that they find 
even more. Nearly 60,000 homes are without power in New Zealand. Upper North Island today as the approach of the cyclone Gabrielle brings strong winds, heavy rain, and huge swells to Auckland and nearby regions. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. We have got our gospel sister. Oh, I just love her so much. Pam Morris, we love her. She's been on vacation. You know, she and her husband are forever honeymoon, but let me tell you something. I'm not mad at her. You've got, you got to get her book, though, 57 Days, Wait for a New Heart. Um, she is a heart transplant recipient. I've got to have her on the show because many of us are so reluctant um, to become donors. And, you know, particularly in the African-American community, that is, it's understandable given the the amount of experimentation uh, that has, that we've had to endure, but but for a donor, we would not have Pam Morris with us. And so I just thank God for uh, for your for that person who saved you, their family, and we thank God for you because it's given you a chance uh, to continue to be with us and to continue to serve and uplift us as you do day in and day out. Pam Morris, love you so much. What is the good news today? And I love you, too, and I thank God for you, uh, Santita, and thank you for this opportunity. Uh, Today, great things happen when we pray. Great things happen when we pray. I just heard, and and congratulations, Super Bowl, yes. um, I just heard you say, um, talk about the death toll had climbed to over 30, I think you said 36,000 persons in the Turkey-Syria earthquake. Um, yes, on yesterday, a 10-year-old girl named Cuby, C-U-B-I, was rescued after spending 147 hours under rubble in southern Turkey. 35-year-old, after 149 hours, was rescued. Great things happen when you pray. They never stop praying. I think about the balloon. I don't know if if they know if it was a spy or not. I don't know. But I think about that it did not harm any of us, any of our people. I think about the deaths that are going on, the gun violence. So much is going on. And we have to keep praying, everybody. We've got to pray. In James 5.16, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, that could be a woman or a man, okay? There is nothing that prayer cannot touch and change. There is nothing. We must pray, everybody. God is not against us. He is for us. So we need to pray. Every believer is called to prayer. It is a gift that the Lord God, the great Jesus, has given to all of us. I am convinced, I am convinced that prayer is not for a special group of people. It's not, I go to church. It's not for just the members in the church. It's for everybody. Never forget prayer is fellowship with God. Prayer is a lifestyle. I pray every day and sometimes several times of the day. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. For everyone who asks, they receive. And he who seeks, finds. And him that knocks, the door is open for you. No matter which prayer we pray, we must have faith. 
It is impossible. If you don't have faith, how do you think something's going to happen if you don't have faith? God would have never brought me out if I would not have had faith waiting for a heart. God blessed me. One of the first things you must get into your heart is that it is God's will for you to ask him. It's God's will. Let me tell you what's in St. John 14, 13 and 14. And whatever you ask and whatever, I'm going to say it one more time. Let me slow down. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father must be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that's what the Bible is saying. Ask anything in my name. It tells you in John 5, 14 and 15, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's going on, please do me a favor. Do me a favor. Remember this one thing I say, great things happen when you pray. Pray. No matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, no matter what it is, pray. Because great things happen when we pray. He keeps me when I ride the expressways and people pass me on the shoulder. And I call on the name of Jesus. Great things happen when you pray. Thank you, Santita. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder you made. You're bringing me, my great-grandmother Tibby to me. She used to say that all the time. Mm. Pray, mm. pray, pray without ceasing. And she prayed throughout the day, and she has been heavy on my mind. So I want to thank you because I feel like you're speaking. I know you, she's, you're speaking to someone out there today. And... um and whatever your faith commitment, even if you don't have one, I want you to hold on to something, to that which is good. Know that the universe, know that God is good. Know that we were not brought to earth. Before you move on, look up the song, anybody that's listening. Jesse Dixon recorded, I Know What Prayer Can Do. Dorothy Norwood recorded, somebody prayed for me. I'm so glad they prayed for me. My grandmother prayed for me. All right, I'm going to stop. Go ahead, Santita. No, no, no. Somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time and prayed for me. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for that. I love you, Pam Morris, everybody. You've got to get the book, everybody. 57 days. Wait for a new heart. Not just a physical heart, but a change of heart, everybody. We all need to be renewed by the changing and the cleaning of our hearts. We've got Dr. Shanina Knighton on with us today. You know what? You had a very interesting post. Brilliant infection preventionist, college lecturer. Um, You do so much. You said oppression you talked about oppression in healthcare spaces, and I thought it was interesting because we have uh, the woman you just heard um, is a heart. She's a heart transplant recipient, and many African Americans are absolutely many, if not most, most of us are loath to become donors because we don't trust the system. And many people think that we're just paranoid, but it's not just history. You know, you treat dismissively oftentimes when you go. You know, when you go get an, when you go get an exam, um, a lot of our doctors and nurses are overwhelmed. But you know, 
we tend to overlook people who are not privileged. Let's just put it that way. Why did you post oppression about oppression in the healthcare spaces, Dr. Knighton? Good morning. Because the thing is, Santita, oftentimes it was more so that post was meant to signify why we need to be the CEO of our own health. And so that was the underlying mission um, or message that, yes, you may go to someone that may try to think that you're crazy when you're telling them that you're experiencing certain symptoms or that something is off, something is not right. You may be asking for certain tests. A prime example is I know a young lady who um, is interesting because we were talking about the hair relaxer harm. And when you have, let's say, conditions such as endometriosis and you know, cervical cancer, uterine cancer, like those things tend to impact your hormones. And so emotionally, she's like, I want to do one thing, but my heart is, you know, my heart is telling me I need to do this, but emotionally I'm all over the place. And I asked her, I said, well, have you spoken with a hormone specialist such as an endocrinologist? She tells me, she said, my primary never has never mentioned that. And not only did her primary never mention it, when she went to go ask her primary, her primary would not give her a consult. So oftentimes people will let the the train stop there. But if it's something else that you want to try and you feel like your provider is not advocating for you, you need to switch providers. Because sometimes you can stick with the provider for such an extended period of time that they think they know you so well that they may or may not be aware of other treatments or think of other treatments because they've been so used to treating you the same way. That is why many people say, oh, I'm going to go for a second opinion. A second opinion can work against you sometimes because you're thinking like, okay, well, if I have this information and that information, then it may be a coin toss. But sometimes you need the outside perspective in order for you to be able to make a better decision. So when I talk about oppression, it's just mentioning that many people may not acknowledge your health in a manner for which you acknowledge your health. They may not understand you culturally the way that they should understand you in order to be able to give you optimal treatment. So with you understanding some of these challenges within our healthcare system, the inequities that exist when it comes to a lack of resources, such as insurance, such as, um, let's say, money to be able to cover what the insurance doesn't provide, which could, which could impact care, it's important for you to understand that as we are facing our healthcare system, shortages are happening Insurance is changing. Hospitals are under the gun when it comes to being able to be sustainable. You have to put yourself first and realize that, yes, the healthcare system is there meant to help you. It is not meant there. It is not meant to control you, meaning you have to be in control of how it is you're feeling. Be able to articulate that and then seek help from someone that is going to listen and act in a way that is going to improve your quality of life. Mm, love that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you, Serena Williams, Dr. Knighton. This is one of the best conditioned athletes persons in the world. And she and her sister have autoimmune issues. She's had issues with blood clots after she had her baby. She felt the clot coming. And no one would listen to her. I was like, 
You know, and you know, but for, I'm sure, because remember, she has a white husband. And all, you know, look, everybody, sadly, race and racism figures is a factor in, in just in our everyday lives. And, and I know he, 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 yeah. And so, you know, he was, he, she not only was advocating for herself, but she had him. Think about that. Think about that, everybody. Be the CEO of your, be the CEO of your own health. And remember, your doctor's a member of your board, not the chair. Love you, Dr. Shanina Knight. And hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. Follow her on in social media. You will not be disappointed. Let's talk about Ukraine on the Santita Jackson Show back in just a minute. We can This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. At the top of the hour, we will be talking about this mayoral race. So many issues continue to come out here in Chicago. And today, citywide, voting in your ward begins. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. And we have got... A lot to talk about today with that race. We need to have a lot to talk about with with respect to Ukraine. It's costing Americans a lot of money, and you need to be on top of this, you know, of this particular uh, of this particular issue because we continue to give them money. We're trying to figure out what's going on. Most of us don't even know what the central issue is, aside from Putin, 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 Putin. There's got to be something else going on. A lot of people are doing a lot of business over there, too. Uh, but what about this Nord Stream attack that the United States said, NATO said, we didn't touch it? And it turns out, Amor Hirsch and Bryce Green and some other tremendous journalists have said, uh, not true. So we got to talk about that. Because now our European allies who need that pipeline are a little bit out of shape. And they're calling us war profiteers. The United States, whoa. Let's talk about that, everybody. Call me at 773 763 9278 773 763 9278 Dr. Dave, the University of Arizona, brilliant historian, the most brilliant journalist, Rice uh, Green, on Fairness and Accuracy Reporting. But before we do that, we have got Chapurro. Are you still taking any orders for Valentine's Day, Chapurro celebrations by us? Yes, Santita, we are doing some fresh flowers for Valentine's Day, but today is the last day to put in your order as well as also your chocolate-covered strawberries. But, uh, Santita, we are planning our uh, Courtney Copeland Memorial Gala, and that's going to be on March 3rd, 2023 at the JLM Community Center. And so we're asking everyone to come out and support this great cause. All monies raised go to support our program, especially our college uh, scholarship fund. And so that's mainly why we do the uh, the big gala so that we can send kids to college. So we are asking everyone to visit us at www.copelandmemorial.com. That's www.copelandmemorial.com. And you can purchase your tickets just by clicking the link. Very simple that you can go on there and get your tickets. And if you can't attend, we're asking everyone to please consider making a donation 
or purchasing a ticket for a family who has lost a child to gun violence in Chicago. So we have uh, um, we have invited several families uh, to come out and share this evening with us. It is a formal gala, so we are going to have music, spoken word, great music, as well as also great food. So uh, you can always visit us at www.copelandmemorial.com to get your tickets. Thank you so much, Santita. You are very welcome. Hey, everybody, go to copelandmemorial.com so you can get more information. Let us talk about the U.S. media's intellectual no-fly zone on U.S. culpability in the Nord Stream attack. That's what you wrote, Bryce Green, in fairness and accuracy in reporting. I said, this man, uh, you continue to to dig for uh, dig for information and I guess it's just it's a very scientific approach. You're like, well, I look at the evidence and whatever comes up, comes up. Um, And that's what real journalism really ought to be about. You ought to have a scientific approach. You should not go in with preconceived notions. Or if you have them, and we all do, you ought to be willing to throw them out the window if the evidence contradicts it. Right? Bryce Green, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, and Dr. David Gibbs, from uh, the University of Arizona, brilliant, brilliant historian. So let's get right to it. U.S. media's intellectual no-fly zone on U.S. culpability in the Nord Stream attack. What did you mean by that, Bryce Green? Well, I meant that the U.S. media, they didn't even address the possibility that the U.S. might have been involved in the Nord Stream bombing. The the Nord Stream attack uh, happened in September And it was a major escalation in the war in Ukraine. But the problem was that no one openly took responsibility for attack. Uh, And Western media figures and Western political officials were very quick to blame Russia. But, of course, they had no evidence for doing so. And, in fact, if you take a look at the circumstantial evidence about who has supported the pipeline and who has opposed it uh, and what U.S. officials have said, the the circumstantial case, the answer to the, the classic question, cui bono, who benefits, is very clearly the United States. The United States has opposed the Nord Stream pipeline uh, since its inception. The idea is that the pipeline would take natural gas from Russia to Germany, thus allowing German manufacturing to benefit from cheaper Russian natural gas instead of having to buy it from uh, you know, partners in the U.S., which would be more expensive. Uh, The U.S. opposed the pipeline because they said that it would make Germany too dependent on Russian gas. And they actually sanctioned companies who were working on the pipeline. Uh, This has been going on since the Obama administration. Uh, And before the war started, the Biden administration was saying that, well, if Russia invaded, then the U.S. will make sure that the Nord Stream pipeline doesn't go through. And they made all sorts of threatening statements about it. And after the pipeline was destroyed, U.S. officials called it a tremendous opportunity. And uh, they talked about how how much that this uh, comported with their strategic objectives. Uh, and in fact, you're seeing liquid natural gas and uh, the, the companies that sell that, they're making record profits here in the U.S. So if you're an investigator and you're wondering who was behind the Nord Stream pipeline, the most obvious choice would be the United States. Uh, But that's not what the U.S. media did. They completely ignored it. Even when German officials said that they were open to the idea that Western powers were behind the attack, uh, 
the, the Western press uh, almost completely ignored this. The U.S. press almost completely ignored it. Um, and then less than a week or around a week after that report about German officials, uh, legendary reporter Seymour Hirsch released a report about how the U.S. did it. And it uh, it was uh, very detailed. And it talked about a joint operation between the Norwegian Navy. It talked about uh, naval divers planting C4 uh, and a remote explosive that was detonated months after it was placed. But the problem is that the U.S. media has ignored this, too. And to the extent that they have covered it, uh, they've dismissed it. Uh, they've said that Cy Hirsch is unreliable and uh, uh, he's a conspiracy theorist. You know, the famed uh, debunking, quote-unquote, website Snopes, uh, they published an article about how uh, we should be wary because Cy Hirsch's reporting only relies on one anonymous source. <laughs> As if that doesn't happen all the time in Western media for even more serious things. Uh, so the question is, what's more credible, uh, denials from the U.S. or a well-credentialed reporter making allegations that fit with what we already know about reality. Uh, and the fact that the U.S. media is really unable or unwilling to parse these facts, to get to the bottom of it, uh, is really troubling. Uh, I'm not saying that Seymour Hersh is unimpeachable, that his report is the gospel, that it's uh, 100% true, but it's a piece of evidence that we can use to support the case that the U.S. did it. And if we had a serious press, they would be investigating it, trying to suss out fact from fiction, trying to figure out what Hirsch got right, what Hirsch got wrong. Instead, they're dismissing it entirely. And so a major event in the uh, Ukraine war is being completely ignored, downplayed, and uh, shielded from the American public. And that's pretty significant. Hmm. I look at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. We're talking about the Nord Stream pipeline, that attack. Uh, what happened there? Uh, more and more, uh, the finger is being pointed at Western powers, specifically the United States. Why is that important? Um, is it something that should at least be investigated? by CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS. I mean, these, the great newspapers, which increasingly are becoming unstaffed. What do you think, everybody? Call us at 773-763-9278. Dr. David Gibbs, what about Seymour Hersh's investigation? Um, what about the, I mean, because I connect his findings to uh European powers calling Americans now war profiteers. They're saying you're standing between us and peace, and we need the Nord Stream pipeline, particularly the Germans. Um, talk to me. I mean, what, what, what is the importance of Nord Stream, and why was um, this explosion of consequence? Okay. Uh, well, yeah, the Nord Stream pipelines, there, there are two of them. There was Nord Stream 1 that was done some time ago, and Nord Stream 2, which is the second pipeline that was completed just before the war began, but not operationalized. And it was owned jointly by mostly Russia, 51%, and 49% was a, um, a joint ownership by three European countries, led by Germany, also Netherlands and France were involved in it. And so 51% um, Russian owned, however, and um, you know, built at enormous expense and at great difficulty, both pipelines. Um, 
And, um, you know, it was blown up, as we all know, in September of this past year. And all of the circumstantial evidence, even before the Hirsch story, all of it pointed to the United States, since Russia had no motive to blow up a pipeline that they own 51 percent. Uh, and the United States clearly did have a very obvious motive to do it. And so, um, um, you know, just again, qui bono, as Bryce Green noted, that that basic question in any investigation would strongly point the finger away from Russia and toward the United States. Plus, there were multiple leaks by top figures in the Biden administration, beginning with Biden himself, as well as Secretary of State Tony Blinken and Under Secretary of State Victoria Newland. Um, you know, both before and after, uh, you know, before basically the, the explosion saying that, uh, you know, Nord Stream 2 will, 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 will I, I think the phrase Biden used was cease to exist or something to that effect. Um, and then after the pipeline explosion, taking great pleasure in the explosion, um, I believe that uh, Secretary Blinken called it a great opportunity. Um, all of these things strongly point to U.S. involvement. This is even before the Hearst story. Let me add, by the way, I don't frankly get the impression that the Biden diplomatic team are very talented just because they kept on leaking these, this basic information, very incriminating statements publicly. In any case, you know, um, so Hearst does come along and he, he evidently does have an inside source with a great deal of detail here. Uh, it is only one source that he went public with. However, I have been following Hearst for about half a century. I remember the Milai massacre, which took place, um, I believe the exposure was when I was 11 years old, and I remember that very well. And you know, Hearst is the most experienced journalist on the, in the world in evaluating these types of covert operations. And based on how he operates, I'd be surprised if he has only one source. I, I, he has only one source that is willing to be quoted, clearly. But I, I would I would bet he has more than one source, including ones who don't want to be quoted. But in any case, even with one source, this source matches everything we know about the public record. There's a mountain of evidence uh, pointing at the United States as the principal culprit here um, and no evidence whatsoever pointing at the Russians. And again, as, yeah, as Bryce Green noted, uh, there's no serious consideration given to this at all. In the mainstream media, you have seen a remarkable deterioration of reporting in the United States and in Europe, I should add, in the sense that, um, you know, Hirsch used to uh, break his exposés in places like The New York Times, The New Yorker, The New York Review of Books, you know, the hardcore of the journalistic mainstream. Um, he would never be able to publish something like this now in, the, in a mainstream venue. He'd have to go to Substack, which is what he did. But again, this is somebody who is a legendary reporter, one of the most accomplished people in the history of journalism. That's to be taken very seriously. And as I said, um, you know, the circumstantial evidence backs it up entirely. What we really do need is a full investigation, either by a, you know, a mainstream paper like The New York Times or by the House and the Senate. Uh, that's what we really need here. Mm. Is this considered to be an act of war, Dr. Gibbs? Well, a deliberate attack on um, infrastructure would be considered a major infrastructure like this could be viewed indeed as a classic act of war. Ironically, the principal victim of the act of war was a U.S. ally, Germany, <clears throat> and to other U.S. allies, Netherlands and France. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm congested here. Um, the, um, and... Um, so, 
what's very surprising to me is you're really not getting the kind of reaction I would expect from countries that have just been severely victimized. Um, you know, the Germans are still going along with the American policy, at least publicly. Uh, you know, German officials are not yet accusing the United States of having done this. Um, I'm, behind the scenes, I'm sure there's a lot of discussion, but at least publicly, nothing yet. Um, so the extraordinary compliance by the Europeans, um, notably the Germans, is, is really quite remarkable here. So, you know, they're not treating it as an act of war, at least not yet. Mm. 773-763-9278-773-763-WCPT. Bryce Green, why should we be concerned about the reporting that we have and have not gotten about this particular incident. And I mean, increasingly about other issues. It just seems like um, there is a censoring. Um, Facebook is in it. You know, I mean, the social media, I mean, these engines are absolutely in it. It also would appear, or, or am I mistaken? No, you're exactly right. Uh, there, like Dr. Gibbs said, there has been a, a serious deterioration of the quality of journalism over the last few decades. And these last five years uh, with Russiagate, uh, the Trump years, and especially during this Ukrainian war, um, it, the media has increasingly taken the position that, well, we are going to be on Team USA. We're going to be on the right side of history um, and we're going to be cheerleaders for what we believe to be the right cause. And in this case, they believe that the right cause is supporting Ukraine against the Russian invasion and escalating the war and making sure that Ukraine, Ukraine's image in the West is pristine and uh, unblemished by, you know, harsh realities of corruption, of, uh, you know, far-right influence, uh, and, and even the fact that uh, – uh, they're about to, uh, the that the war isn't necessarily going their way, um, and all of this contributes to a, a sort of environment where, well, you can't even talk about the realities of uh, why the U.S. might have wanted to bomb the Nord Stream pipeline uh, because that would go against the public narrative, and so all these media figures, uh, you know, they they're not stupid. They can put two and two together like me and Dr. Gibbs just did, um, but. You know, even Jeffrey Sachs, uh, you know, the Columbia professor, he went on TV and he said, well, a lot of journalists suspect the U.S. was involved, but they know that they just can't say it. They know that the papers won't publish it. They know that that's not the system that they operate in where they can speak freely in this sense. Uh, and so you really have a serious challenge to the myth of the free press. Um, and if, if this is a free press, well, then it's certainly not a serious one. Uh, they're not serious about getting to the bottom of facts. They're not serious about challenging their government on statements. They're not serious about asking what's really going on. You know, only one reporter, to my knowledge, asked the State Department to comment on this Cy Hirsch story. And, you know, he was pretty much dismissed. Uh, you know, it was called propaganda or a conspiracy theory. Uh, that's really lazy when it comes to issues as important as U.S.-German-U.S.-Russian relations. Uh, if the U.S. was indeed involved in the pipeline, like Dr. Giff said, like we need a serious congressional investigation. We need the public state to assert its authority over the national security imperatives. We need the public to be informed and active in how their country makes its policy. 
But this, you know, matrix of uh, distortion that the mainstream media seems to create uh, is really making that a difficult task. How does this impact us, Dr. Gibbs, in terms of how we are perceived, not just, you know, in the Brazils and the South Africans, the BRICS nations, the Indias, the Chinas, okay, um, in the in the global south, if you will, you know, the world where all the minerals are, you know, the former colonies that are now ascendant. How does this impact us with the with our European allies? Because that's what the West is, even if it's New Zealand, which is way at the bottom of the world. They're the West. Australia, way at the bottom of the world. They're the West. It's European. How does this impact us with them? Because I'm sure Germany can't be happy about this, Dr. Gibbs. Well, I'm very surprised at the extent to which the Europeans have got along with all this, uh, even after the explosion of the Nord Stream pipeline given the fact that it's so obviously detrimental to their interests and is lowering their living standards. Um, and Germany especially, it, uh, it, it, it may raise real questions about whether or not Germany can remain the industrial power it traditionally has been, given that it's all dependent on inexpensive energy, which is no longer available. Um, on the other hand, you have this extraordinary tone of sort of moral self-righteousness coming out of Europe. Um, there's a far-left German politician named Sarah Wegenknecht who's been very critical of this, and she's repeatedly noted how just a tone of self-righteousness seems to be replacing any kind of um, traditional conception of national interest or even just replacing logic. Um, and the sort of outrage of Russia's invasion, which is understandable up to a point, um, has replaced any consideration of you know, whether or not the United States uh, is, is, is playing as a, you know, playing such a moral role here. And it seems to be um, obscuring any real discussion in the mainstream media in Europe, as well as here, of what has just happened with the Nord Stream pipeline. Um, you know, I don't read German, but I, I do read French and English, and I'm not really seeing very much critical coverage of this. In Britain in particular, the, the press, I would say, is even more uncompromisingly pro-war than it is here. Um, that is a historic change. I mean, during the war on terror, you had much better reporting in uh, Europe than you had in the United States. But that's clearly changed. And Europe has become virtually indistinguishable from the United States, at least in terms of public discussion. Now, how long that'll last, I don't know. Um, and it could be that over time you're going to get an erosion of support as it sinks into people that this is damaging their living standards. Um, now, on the other hand, in the global south, in places like India, in Mexico, Brazil, South Africa, I suspect people are laughing their heads off at the notion that the U.S. had nothing to do with this. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine that it's going to be taken very seriously outside of kind of the NATO bubble, which is what we have here. Mm. Talking with Dr. David Gibbs, University of Arizona, uh, historian, of course, Bryce Green from Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting. I've got a couple of minutes left, and I want each of you to have the final word. Uh, Dr. Gibbs, one minute for you. The explosion of the Nord Stream pipeline and the very likely U.S. association with that explosion should underscore the extent to which this is a very cynical war, and the U.S. has been playing a very cynical game. From the very start, uh, you know, it's not the moral war people think uh, it, it is. And, uh, you know, I think once you start looking at the United States, the extraordinary ruthlessness in U.S. policy and the willingness to attack infrastructure, 
It really should raise more basic questions about what the U.S. purpose is more generally in this war. Mm. Rice grain. What do you, I mean? What has been left unsaid in this conversation today? I mean, I'm getting you're getting all of you are getting a lot of kudos. I mean, UN, Dr. Gibbs, and you, Bryce Green, because people are saying we have we've not heard this. We have not heard this in mainstream media. Thank you, Star Child, and so many of you. Um, and you know, I have to tell you, uh, Linear Bob, it's not just Fox News. All of these news outlets give you opinion. And if you you can turn from channel to channel to channel, they're covering the same stories at the same time, and they are saying virtually the same thing. Price green. Right. One thing to understand about this war that really isn't talked about enough is to the extent that uh, U.S. goals involved uh, dominating Europe. Now, the reason that the West opposed the Nord Stream pipeline wasn't just about the Russians' ability to leverage uh, natural gas in, in the event of any sort of uh, conflict. What it was really about is making sure that German industry was tied to U.S. industry rather than Russian industry. Uh, if Germany and Russia had a close economic link and they were able to support each other, well, that will mean that they would re- uh, represent an economic center that could potentially at some point challenge the U.S. center of economic power. Um, And this, in fact, is the basis of the U.S. policy towards Russia, towards China, towards the rest of the world, that its economic power is threatened. And Germany, with uh, a strong manufacturing sector, represented a threat to that. In fact, this was one of the original purposes of NATO, to keep the Russians out, the Americans in, and to keep the Germans down. Um, And that's been largely successful, but we're starting to see a potential shift in that. And these larger geopolitical issues are pretty much ignored in favor of, uh, like like Dr. Gibbs said, moral outrage. And so I encourage everybody to try and set aside their moral outrage, try and look into the real motives, the, the power incentives behind American power and American policy. Amen. You know what? Hassan wants to ask you a question. We'll do that during the break. Coming up, the Chicago mayoral race. It is getting hot, everybody. The election is the 28th today. Citywide, in every ward, you'll be able to vote. Please get out and vote, everybody. Don't let 10 or 20 percent of the people decide what we all have to live with. Be back in just a minute on the Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson One day before Valentine's Day, Monday, February 13th, one day after the Super Bowl. Was that thrilling? I'm Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. And, of course, we've got our people from Venezuela and Brazil and France and and Los Angeles. Hey, Carol, my sister from my sister from another sister. How you doing? And Anna Johnson and, of course, Shirley from beautiful Philadelphia. Hey. 
Kansas City won uh, the Super Bowl yesterday. Patrick Mahomes is the MVP uh, of the Super Bowl and of the NFL. But I'm going to tell you, Patrick Mahomes, you can say, at Philadelphia won, Jalen Hurts would have been the MVP. They both played those kind of games. It was just a great, great Super Bowl. And then you find out Rihanna's pregnant. I knew she was a little, well, I knew she wasn't really moving around. And she, well, like a thousand people, a thousand dancers. That was what a spectacle. But then she's having another baby. Congratulations, Rihanna. Bless your heart. Wow, wow, wow. Whew, what a thrilling game. What a thrilling game. 38 to 35. Right up until the last minute, you didn't know what was going to happen. Of course, Philadelphia was on fire in the first half. And then... After halftime, Kansas City came out and did not take their feet off the gas pedal. It just was a thrilling game. That's the kind of game you want for the Super Bowl. I am Sam Keith Jackson. It's a joy to be with you today. We're talking about the Chicago mayoral election. Today, you can vote in every ward across the city. Early voting started on January 26th. You had to go to the super sites, but now you can vote in your ward. Please go out and vote everybody. Don't know what's going to happen on Election Day. Something might come up for you. But please don't let 10, 20, 30, 50 percent decide, make a decision for you. If somebody's going to vote, they'll be making a decision for you if you don't vote. Get out and vote today, everybody. In Chicago, it's going to be a positively beautiful day. Sunny, 48 degrees will be the high. Minneapolis, 41 degrees. Sunny will be the high. Fantastic. And, hey, in the NBA, today, everything's going to resume. Everybody took a little bit of time off of the Super Bowl. The Timberwolves will be facing off against the Mavericks, and the Magic will be playing the Bulls in the NHL. The Panthers will be playing the Wild. Everyone was looking at that was the story, everybody. So let's move on to something else. Let us look at this earthquake. 36,000 people between Turkey and Syria uh, following last Monday's catastrophic earthquake have died. Um, but people are still surviving. They're still pulling survivors out of the rubble. Let us continue to pray because miracles can happen every day. Teams are still rushing to save victims. And let us make that they find even more people there. U.S. fighter jets scrambled three days in a row to shoot down a trio of unidentified aerial objects high above North America. A jet shot down an unidentified object near Lake Huron on, thir- on Sunday, marking the third time in one week that the U.S. military is taking down objects in North American airspace. On Saturday, an unidentified object was downed over northern Canada. A day after another object had been shot down, over Alaska. What's going on, everybody? You got the Chinese surveillance balloon that was taken down by F-22s off the coast of South Carolina last weekend with no indication at this point that the unidentified objects have any connection to China. National security officials, understandably, are on the edge, according to this CNN report. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. Want to thank, once again, New Beginnings Church, the rooftop pastor, uh, Corey Brooks, Reverend Corey Brooks, Pastor Corey Brooks, and that magnificent New Beginnings family. They hosted a packed house. And we want to thank you for coming out. A packed house, a full house, the Rainbow Push mayoral debate. Tia from Fox 32, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a magnificent partner to have. She is just the highest 
highest professional. And she brought her baby. Oh, my gosh. She and her husband had their baby with them. Oh, she, she was so precious. I love it. I love it. And this woman's back at work looking like she had, like nothing happened to her. Just gorgeous and, and so brilliant, so bright. Uh, but we had a wonderful time. And a special shout out to Alderman Orenda Troutman, who runs everything. We were New Beginnings. So wonderful group of worshipers, um, a wonderful group of young people uh, and elders. I mean, it is just a magnificent church at 66 and King Drive. Thank you so much, Stanley, for correcting me. It is an absolutely wonderful church. It feels great, too. And we had a marvelous time there. We just thank you, New Beginnings, for hosting us on Saturday. And I'm so glad that so many of you tuned in and really enjoyed what you saw. Everybody except the mayor and Dr. Wilson were there. The mayor, to be fair, had a prior commitment. She had a prior commitment um, on the west side, and she said, I cannot break this commitment to even be there with you. And every time we've asked her to do something, she has shown up. So I want us to be fair. And, and of course, Dr. Wilson also had a prior commitment. You respect that. But everybody else was there. It was very interesting watching the reactions to the various candidates um, and listening to all of them with their knowledge of the issues. It's really an embarrassment of riches. Wherever, however you feel about any of the candidates, um, they're all very, very, um, well, they've dedicated their lives to to public service, and they're all qualified to be uh, where they are. So we'll see what's going to happen. So I'm going to go down the line and ask all of you, as we look at these polls, the WBEZ poll basically has a statistical dead heat. You have Chewy Garcia, Congressman Garcia at the top, Paul Vallis, and then Mayor Lightfoot. They're basically within a margin of error of each other. What's going to happen? Only the top two candidates will make the runoff. What are the issues, everybody? And now people are asking about Paul, Paul Vallis and his Chicago residency. Now, it has been ruled that he actually does. Um, ha- he has established Chicago residency, but he really has lived someplace else, too. What does that mean? Uh, what about the black exodus from Chicago? What are the issues that really really are driving you to the polls so that you're most concerned about. A gentleman approached me. He did not come back to me. I wish he had. He said, I want you to ask a question about safety on the trains and the buses. He said, because we don't feel safe on the trains and the buses. And I hope if you're listening to me, sir, that you will call in and just reach out to me because I told you I wanted to I wanted to explore that with you. Uh, if people are not feeling safe on the trains and the buses and standing on the bus stops and standing on the L platforms, what is going on, everybody? So let's get to this wonderful panel. Of course, we have got Dr. Robert Starks, preeminent, not just political scientist, but he is also one of our most esteemed professors from Northeastern Illinois University's Center for Inner City Studies. Um, but he's always put his great academic um, credentials. He's also put it in the organizing and activist space. So we've always appreciated that about him. Brilliant social scientist, Dwight McKee. Attorney Aaron Connolly, brilliant political organizer and activist. And Kevin Lampley, brilliant political consultant. Let me start with you, Kevin Lampley. What about these polls that continue to... We can't get anything definitive out of this, Kevin. I mean, I don't... I don't even know what's going to happen on Election Day. I just... Are you... What is... 
what can we read anything into any of this? Well, you know, there is there's two tiers in this race. Um, and I, I think the, the top tier is, is the mayor, uh, Lori Lightfoot, Paul Vallis, um, Chuy Garcia, and Brandon Johnson is in that top tier as well. And then we have a second-tier candidate. But I will say this. Having watched the um, um, uh, last couple of forums and was there on Saturday, an amazing event put together by everybody. Congratulations to all that were behind the scenes making sure that that happened. Um, everybody did a really good job. I mean, I'm going to say, be honest here, Everybody there that participated in the forum looked like they were um, um, they're ready to serve as mayor and they understand the issues that matter. And I'll say the sleeper person from the forum on Saturday was, was Jamal Green. Um, strong, studied, thoughtful, um, and aggressive. Um, but it is, I'm, many people I'm talking to are telling me they haven't made their decision yet. Um, and even though uh, war by war voting is starting today, it is uh, people are still, are still making their decisions. I think that's reflected in the poll that it is uh, it is a toss up on who is leading in the race right now. Mm. Well, what do you read into this, Doctor Bob Stark? Uh, I agree with Lampy. This is going to be a very very close election. And uh, and again, as Lampy and I have said before, polls are a little bit deceiving. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't put too much emphasis on uh, the, you know, polls as being absolute. Because uh, we've got, what, two more weeks to go. Uh, Johnson is moving up uh, and cannot be uh, overlooked. Uh, there will be a runoff. And I think it's going to be very, very close. Uh, I can't predict exactly who will be in that runoff, but it will be a very close between those four that Lampy uh, uh, talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm, I mean, but is it because you were very active in the in the Harold Washington? In the draft, Harold Washington movement, and I think it's important for us to note that he did not want to run for mayor. You all, he did not. He was drafted. He was literally pushed by people like Dr. Bob Stark. I mean, I just have to keep it 100. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It is true. It's true. It's true. Look, he, he had been a machine guy. He'd been kicked out the machine, and he was finally able to get back on his feet. But we have to thank Lou and Georgia Palmer for that because they, yes. took, they literally took him into their home, and they willed him back into – he was very, very down. Very, very down, very, very down. And they literally fed him, and they said, you still have something to give, Harold. And they stayed with him. They helped. They pushed him to run for Congress. They ran him for Congress. And, you know, of course, no one could even talk about the genius of Georgia Palmer. I mean, she, she was the, uh, the, the genius. <laughs> we don't even – she's never gotten the credit that she was you, but – She's on the other side of eternity. Mrs. Palmer, I'm giving it to you today because I just love you and thank you and you and Lou Palmer and your multicolored cakes, green, red, orange, whatever they were. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, but that having been said, it was a people's draft. And then four years ago with, with, with Lori Lightfoot, we were kind of in the same position. 
Mm-hmm. Before I move on to to Dwight and to and to Aaron Conley, we didn't know who was going to who was going to win. But Lori Lightfoot was so strong in the debate, people said, "Hey, I'm just going to give her a chance." And unfortunately, I think you know people kind of turned on President Preckwinkle, which was you know which was unfortunate because um, she's done so much to serve, but you know she's done a great job as president of the Cook County Board of Commissioners. Uh, I mean, what do, do you, you think this would be like a photo finish? Mm-hmm. It will be like a photo finish, believe me. Yes. <laughs> that is crazy, Aaron Connolly. <laughs> what are you making of all of this? Well, I agree with the experts on this panel that it's going to be an interesting race as always, and it's always down to the finish. I mean, we we saw that surprise four years ago um, in a very expensive, let's not remember, I mean, let's not forget how much money was spent the last time around when Rahm Emanuel you know, shocked everyone saying he wasn't going to run again. Then the the field yeah. was crazy, and it it turned into this kind of <laughs> who knows what's going to happen. But Lori Lightfoot surprised everybody, so there is that possibility that it can be completely different than what the polls are telling us. And with this many folks in the race, with a news cycle like it, that exists in Chicago, like none other. Um, momentum can pick up at any stage of this game. So, um, you know, it's exciting as always to to watch and be a part of Chicago politics. But um, I think it's interesting to see what you hear at the doors and on the phone banks and kind of that, that consensus across, you know, different wards within this city. And um, I think, you know, listening to some of the the rhetoric coming out of uh, some of the supporters of Paul Vallis and where we see money being spent in, uh, you know, we have all these ad buys to look at and we can see how candidates are honing in their message as they're getting closer to the finish line. And I think it's interesting to see what's really motivating voters to turn out and what even local candidates are focusing on um, in this race uh, for mayor of Chicago and many, many active uh, races for Chicago City Council, which ultimately supports this mayor, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not just who is on the fifth floor. You are building coalitions. You are, you know, pushing through progress, and that takes a that takes numbers on the council. So, um, you know, people are fighting to the finish line in, in those those races as well. And we have a lot more open seats than usual. So um, there's a lot of exciting things to watch and a lot of new leaders to see emerging, as you, you said uh, this weekend, in the even in the mayoral race. You know, not everybody can win, but we have a lot of great talent, political talent, expertise, and um, people with a real history and commitment to the city. So that's a great thing to see in all of this. Amen. Yeah, I mean, you're right. But And we're going to revisit these coalitions and, and what's really pushing people um, to the polls, because a lot of people approach me with a lot of questions that I wish we, we would have been able to take uh, but, you know, Dwight, people have to know that when you have these debates, when you have these fora, you actually have questions that have been constructed and that have been vetted. And um, you haven't shared them with the candidates. But they're, they, they might look like they're spontaneous, 
um, on, on one level they are because you never know what anyone's going to say, but they are planned. And so for anyone who felt that their question, their specific question did not get asked, we really, we did ask a lot of people. We tried to incorporate your thoughts into the questions that we constructed. So continue to reach out to me, continue to reach out to Rainbow Push, because in fact, we're going to have another forum. I don't know if it'll be a forum or debate uh, before what we anticipate will be the runoff on April 4th. Uh, Dwight McKee, what do you make of where we are? Let's just start right here in this block, looking at this new WBEZ poll that shows Congressman Garcia, Mr. Vallis, and um, and the mayor basically in a statistical dead heat. Well, uh, I think even more important is the 20 to 30 percent who's yet to make their minds up. I think it's in the margins that the victory lies. Um, I also think that it's so close because there's so many real good candidates in the race. And, you know, with nine candidates in the race, the split is going to be somewhere uh, third, a third, a third. If it were less candidates in the race, I think that you would see that, that balance uh, much more defined uh, with, you know, a block of voters going to more of a block of voters going to one candidate or another candidate. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it all breaks out. I think that this next month is going to be very important, next couple of weeks very important, in terms of how they twenty eight to thirty percent line line up. And you never know what course of events uh that are external may affect where people's heads are. You know, there can be a mass shooting that will take the people more into law and order. There can be a strike that takes them more into public service. You know, there can be a natural catastrophe that takes them somewhere else. Everything is up for grabs right now. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out. Well, you know, given that everything is up, why do you think everything is up for grabs? I mean, of course, we just we have almost an embarrassment of riches. You have a lot of great people running. But is it... I mean, you and uh, and a, a few others have talked about the dynamism in the electorate right now. That's why I've got a couple of minutes before I go to break. That you know, just it's almost like all bets are off. More and more Americans want a real third party. Uh, more and more Americans are don't want to identify as Democrat or Republican. More and more Americans are just fed up with everything. What's going on? Well, one of the demographics changed so much. Yeah, one of the demographics have changed so much since the Harold Washington days. It's even within the last ten years, so many blacks have been uh, excommunicated outside the city, driven out of the city. Um, probably a hundred, two hundred thousand blacks have been driven out of the city. The, a lot of Hispanics have been relocated into the city. A lot of whites have been relocated into the city. And so just the pure demographics of it all has shifted. Secondly, the issues are 
all of the issues have become almost equally important. Uh, crime and, 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 and lawlessness now is much of an issue of is inflation and, and the cost of living. And so before there was no real dominant issues uh, that people would just kind of lined up on the side of. Now each person is operating in, with some dominant issue. And so many people, the issue is crime and punishment. We see crime has been out of control. Many people think that inflation and, and, and economic development is the major issue that confronts us. Many people think education is the issue that confronts us. And so based on your orientation and what you subscribe to, pretty much is what is taking your attention and which candidate you're going to follow. Because each one of those candidates pretty much represent one of those interests. It's going to be very interesting. Hey, everybody, let's talk about this mayoral campaign. And, Sonia, why don't you call in? Because you're talking about the black uh, exodus from Chicago. You say that no taxes are not it. Because black people have moved to some areas that are more expensive than Chicago. But they feel that these areas are nicer, they're cleaner, uh, the schools are, perform better, and on and on and on and on. What is going on here? We've got the black exodus from Chicago. We have got a candidate who says, I really live in Chicago. You've got um, higher taxes in Chicago. You have got people who feel unsafe on public transportation. I mean, just going to work, going, coming and going to, to school. It's, there's a lot going on here, a lot. And I could feel that at the mayoral form that we had um, at New Beginnings Church of the Rainbow Push had. You could feel uh, the electricity in there. People need not just change. They want things to get right, not just better. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show. Let's talk about the Chicago Mayor's Race in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Let's talk about the Chicago mayoral race. Today, you can vote in every ward in the city. You can vote in every ward in the city. Early voting started January 26th, but as of today, you can vote in your ward. Please get out and vote. We need to get those numbers up, everybody, so that you do not let a minority make a majority decision. We've got Kevin Lampe, brilliant political consultant and attorney Erin Connolly. She does the same, and she's also an organizer politically, as is Kevin. And Dwight McKee, brilliant social scientist and Really, the academician who's going to be asking questions of us all. He's always holding court. The brilliant political scientist <laughs> holding class. Dr. Bob Stark. Well, you know, it's always wonderful to see academicians who go into the organizing and act in space because you see things globally. So you're always asking a lot of questions because you see things from a lot of different perspectives. I mean, I tease you lovingly, but, you know, 
It's true. <laughs> you know, let me ask. Let me start with Kevin on this one. I was reading this article in Politico, Kevin, and I want you to speak to it. And I want everyone. Chicago's messy. This is the headline. Chicago's messy, caustic mayor's contest has Democrats feuding over crime. The party strife has made Chicago mayor's race a crucible for how high-profile Democrats are spreading their messages around policing violence and racial justice. I think this is important. The article opens like this. The homicide rate in this deep blue city doesn't crack the top ten in the U.S. Let me say that again, everybody. The homicide rate in this deep blue city, Chicago, does not crack the top ten in the U.S., though you wouldn't know it from the mayor's race. The eight challengers hoping to topple Democratic Mayor Lori Lightfoot later this month are almost solely focused on the city's violence, hammering on issues such as homicide, carjackings, robberies at every open microphone. And yet we're not even in the top ten of homicides in the United States. But if you look at the news, you say Chicago, you think murder. I mean, help me, Kevin Lampy. What's going on? Kevin? Ooh. Okay. Well, you know that that happens with Kevin sometimes. He goes on mute. Okay. All right, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, you go. Uh, yes, indeed. I'm sorry about that. So what has happened is the media has, has gone to an issue. And one of the problems we have in, in the modern media landscape right now is there's just not enough reporters. And there's plenty of media outlets, but there's just not enough reporters digging deep and really looking at issues in a, in a thoughtful, smart way. But at least rushing to the news with the simplest thing, and if it leads, it leads. And so we have this challenge presented to us where crime is constantly being pushed to people. But if people don't feel safe, it doesn't matter what the statistics may be, when people feel that their security is threatened, that makes that issue incredibly important. And then you know, the candidates have very much gone to the easiest thing to talk about, and that's police. And we see it, in, in, particularly in Paul Ballas' campaign, I, I've been frustrated to watch this, is that the dog whistle politics that he's doing, where it's, it's, they're trying, he's trying, there's one, one alderman told me the other day, trying to uh, arrest us out of a problem. Mm-hmm. Throwing resources at them, but they're not looking at the real reason behind crime increase. They're not looking at economic development. They're not looking at educational opportunities. And they've gone to the shorthand of just talking crime, crime, crime. I'm going to scare you so much that in order to be safe, you've got to vote for me. And that's what's, that's what's really kind of, I think, stopped the influence of so many other issues and so many other things that need to be talked about but just aren't being talked about and are just being ignored. Dr. Starks, are you surprised that Chicago's not even in the top 10 of, of homicides in the United States? And yet, uh, that's all you hear the corporate media tell you, locally and nationally and internationally. Chicago, you know, murder, 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 murder. <laughs> right. No, I, I, I agree. It, it is, uh, it's, it's phenomenal that that is uh, pushed in the press both locally as well as nationally that Chicago is, has this enormous homicide problem uh, and of course it is a problem there's no doubt about that but it's not as bad as uh, it is 
portrayed by some in the in, in the media. But I want to go back to this whole question of why African American people are leaving the city. I think we have to go all the way back to 1969 uh, with the Riot Commission report in which one of their major uh, recommendations was that they had to depopulate the inner city, the core areas where African Americans dominated. Uh, And, of course, the second phase of that whole depopulation uh, strategy was the tearing down of public housing, which, as the white stated, just moved hundreds of thousands of African Americans out of the city of Chicago. And then on top of that, you have gentrification of many areas that were traditionally African American dominated areas in the inner city. So you have a combination of crime being portrayed as as great, and it is real, okay? Then you have the cost of housing. Do you realize the cost of housing is going up tremendously in this city? And then, of course, the issue of education. I think that those three things combined help to push and uh, many people out of the city. And Dwight, I think Dwight uh, would agree with that. Dwight? Totally. And on the crime issue, Reverend Starks, is not as how many crimes are being committed, it's where the crimes are being committed. And what's yeah. different now is there are more crimes being committed on the north side or in the yeah, white community. Yeah. And yeah, so it's yeah. more aggravated. The coverage is, is more more aggravated and the fear is more aggravated because people who never thought they had to be in touch with a carjacking uh, before is confronted now in their own world with a carjacking or a shooting. There are more shootings down on uh, Michigan Avenue and robberies on Michigan Avenue. And so it's not the, 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 the quantity of, of crimes, it's the location of crime that is the big difference. And so that's why it's become a dominant issue, and that's why they can use that to uh, frighten the white community in such a way is that becomes a preeminent issue for them to have to deal with. And that's the crowd that Vallis is playing, too. And in some ways, Willie is playing, too. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. But the whole issue of gentrification has not been addressed by the people who are running for mayor. And I guess the best example of gentrification on the south side of the city is Woodlawn. I mean, Woodlawn is going to be totally different after the opening of the Obama Center. Because if you look at Woodlawn today, uh, there are hundreds of vacant lots and the question is what kind of housing is going on those vacant lots will it be dr starks it's different right now i was just at (laughs) church of god yesterday and it is i was like wait a minute wait a minute hold up i look at the new houses that they're constructing there i've always lived in a neighborhood that was the, the, my parents' immediate neighborhood was always a very mixed neighborhood, 
okay? Mm-hmm. And because it was restricted until a wave of black folks moved in there in the mid to late 60s, and we were part of that wave. That having been said, Woodlawn is now, I mean, you see white people out walking their dogs like it is not a thing. And then you've got you've got apostolic church of God sitting right in the middle of it. I'm not mad about anything. I just you know I like mixed use mixed income communities because you're moving families who did the best that they could to stay there and they've been booted out. Why? Because we're about to get uh, the Obama Center. I mean, mm-hmm. there's something about that that is not right, Doctor Starks. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Well, a similar kind of thing on a lower scale is happening in South Shore, uh, which, of course, as you know, has the, you know, the the, the golf courses and uh, the country club uh, park and all of those great, beautiful amenities uh, and people who are in middle and higher income want to move back to those uh Amenities. They, you know, they're close to downtown. Uh, they have good, you know, Lakeshore Drive and other uh, conveniences. So they, people with higher income, want to live in those areas, and of course, be close to the Obama Center. Well, you know, well, I mean, it, it is a reality. I mean, so I mean, Aaron. I mean, how do we create a bigger City. I mean, Chicago on paper has always been the most segregated big city in the United States. Exactly. And it just, exactly. You know, I mean, come on, let's keep it 100, right? So it seems like the segregation is being, um, it's, it's increasing and it's, and it's, it's calcifying. And, to, and with with all of this campaigning on law and order, I think it could get really ugly. Um, that's a great word, Santita, calcifying, right? And I, I think it, um, you know, I saw it living on the north side of Chicago for many years, um, and that ramp up of kind of this frenzy that comes into neighborhoods when something happens on your block, right? And rightly so. Um, but every neighborhood in Chicago should feel safe, and it should be a big problem in every neighborhood. And we need to look at not just who our mayor is, but who our city council looks like, what their staffers are. Do they believe in collectivism? Do they believe in I'm only as strong in my city as the weakest neighborhood or the weakest neighborhood school or who needs the you know most help? How are we approaching this? And we have the opportunity this election to put people into the Chicago City Council that have that worldview, that understand that, yes, they're going to represent their ward and their interests, but ultimately, we're all in this together. And we have to share a budget and share streets. And, you know, these neighborhood lines are really invisible. And we're a global city that needs better solutions than we're offered right now. And the city services that we pay a lot for, right? People pay a lot to live in the city of Chicago and are fighting to stay there. As you say, it shouldn't be this hard to get a decent neighborhood school that supports your kid, whether they have special needs or not, and live in a a safe area. And I think everybody is fighting for that. The rhetoric that we see that takes advantage of this fear and um, uncertainty that is permeating in our national news cycle as well, right? So this is an opportunity for folks to take a, a, a microcosm of what's 
happening and expand it to the point that it doesn't have a lot of citations that match necessarily, right? And we're not looking at the whole picture. These are the folks that don't necessarily want to talk about the 10 years of closing (laughs) mental health clinics and the impact that that has had. We're only seeing now a recent um, flexibility where Chicago residents can seek uh, affordable mental health care. That's a huge issue. So it's not just uh, the simple public safety law and order, but when we break it down, when folks feel this stress in other ways, it is a more powerful message and resonates more. You know, Kevin Lampy, if you could construct it at brilliant points, by the way, Aaron Connolly, Attorney Connolly, if you could construct a campaign, I mean, how, what, what do you think would be the winning campaign that would lift people in the city? Because you have been very, very um, forward about your objections to the way Paul Vallis has, has campaigned. You said these dogs, I mean, you brought it up here. Uh, you said these dog whistle politics are damaging because, you know, people forget, you know, campaigns are short. Governance lasts a while, and then once you leave office, we have to live with that. And we're living um, with the with the vestiges of all these people who've left. We're still living with Reaganism 40 years later. <laughs> you know, so what? How would you, if you could, if you could coach? I mean, if you could, how would you? How would you want someone to run for office? What What would you want them to punch up? What are the issues that you want them to to emphasize? What would you want them to say? So on the on the strategic tactic side of the uh, the equation here, what I counsel my clients and, and what I think is good for society because I'm in this because I want to change the world and make it a better place is let's point out problems by offering solutions. Let's get this right. Let's not just say you know crime is terrible, crime crime you're scared you should be scared you know. Scare you, you know, as the same boo all the time. What you need to do about it? Have some detailed programs that address the issues, and not just let's look at it holistically. Let's look at it not just as a policing. Let's look at it as a community challenge. Let's look at it as an economic development challenge. Let's look at it as a an attitude challenge. If we can be, if candidates can be there presenting their ideas and to look at things not just in simple. More cops in the streets, more cops on the streets. Let's actually look at what, you know, how can we look at, for instance, responding to police calls? What can we do to make sure that mental health professionals are there to intervene instead of a cop with a gun to intervene, have a person with a mind and a background to help de-escalate the situation? I mean, I heard a gentleman, he came to me and he was very, 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 uh, very passionate about the fact that he and people he knows do not feel safe on the bus. They do not feel safe on the train. He said, you've got to get, you've got to get these candidates to talk about that. Then Alicia says they are pushing out the very people who built the West and South sides of Chicago. We are losing our jobs, houses, schools, churches, healthcare services. This gentrification and economic inequality is causing a mass exodus which goes to, you know, you and I are South Shore people, <laughs> Dr. Starks. And, but yes. South Shore is going back to where it, it, going back to where it was when we got here. Because right. I'm between South Shore and Hyde Park, because, you know, we first came to the University of Chicago. And people move from the University of Chicago to South Shore 
or they stay at Hyde Park. You know, it's kind of how it works, right? Right. Um, so talk to me. I mean, because gentrification is something we've not heard a lot about that in this campaign, but that's happening all over the city. And it is south. It is in Roseland, for heaven's sake. When I went to Roseland, I was like, what is going on out here? Then I read Redfin, I see these, you know, I see how they're selling homes and they're getting more and more expensive out there. And in the neighbor just just a little farther north, it's creeping, creeping, creeping. It's Chicago's gonna be unaffordable for middle class people in a hot second. Increasingly it is. And I don't care what color you are. Right. Well, I mean, look at the justification that's going on in Little Village. I mean, people don't even talk about that. But if you talk to people in Little Village, they are now complaining that their neighborhood is being gentrified because people are moving from the east further west along the the corridors, uh, 22nd, uh, 26th, etc., in uh, Village. And it's Pricing out people who cannot afford those uh, rents and those mortgages. The same thing is happening along the lakefront in further north. Uh, people, you know, are, are being pushed out by high rents and, and high mortgages. And on top of that, of course, is taxes. So we have to look at that and understand that if we have a mayor, the mayor has got to address those issues. Uh, and, of course, when we, when we look at that and ask the, the mayoral candidates how they feel about it, many of them sort of uh, walk a little bit around it because they don't want to uh, alienate or lose the support of many of the, the people in those uh, gentrified uh, areas. But it's a reality. It is a reality. And I think it may be the reason why for the last three or four uh, mayoral elections, we have not had a big turnout on the part of low-income people. That's a question, if, if, if you will allow me. <laughs> the question I want us to look no, no, my, at is... My question to ask your question is, are they, are they still in the city? <laughs> are they still here? <laughs> but, you know, we, only have about, we have about three and a half minutes left. So, you know, your question very quickly, because everyone's going to have about a little under a minute to, to respond. Dr. Dr. My my question is, how do we escalate or increase, if you will, the turnout on Election Day? It's been dismal in the last two or three uh, elections for mayor. It's been in the 30s. How do we get it past the 30s and into the 40 percent, et cetera? Climbing. I've got about I've got a minute for you. Erin Connelly, literally one minute. Well, I think it's it's old school organizing, and we see the highest turnouts in some of those areas. When we look at the the zip codes and the, you know, every map of Chicago is the same map of Chicago in many ways. But in certain areas where there are, if you look at the precincts, you look at where folks are really doing that organizing work, there is a jump. And what we do see and we saw in the last election is a huge jump in young folks. And I hope that that trend continues mm-hmm. because they are taking taking a stake in, in what's um, next for our city. And I'm encouraged by that. Okay. Kevin Lampy, one minute. It is now we no longer have 
not just an election day. We now have a voting season. Understand that the season is open. It's time to get to the polls. Starting today, the ward has a polling place in it, and it's open and open long hours and open open every day until the election. So you cannot use the excuse you don't have time because the the, the, the polls are open. People got to show up if you if you are invested emotionally, economically, intellectually in this in your community in your neighborhood, you've got to get out and make a difference because your vote really does matter. Mm-hmm. Dwight McKee, one minute. Uh, excuse me. I think that um, the candidates have to be more definitive on, you know, what they're bringing to the table and, uh, and more committed to equity in the city. I think the constituencies in the, in the city are so extreme that you have a very wealthy, very secure crowd on one side of town and a very insecure, very uh, uh, debilitated community on the other side of town. And it's very hard to speak to both those constituencies. I think you really have to define whose side you're going to be on and appeal to that crowd and we be committed to redistributing some of the resources in the city because the city is so it's been dealt with in such an inequitable position situation that uh nobody's gonna be able to maintain their standard of living at the expense of somebody else like they have in the past. And that a mayor has to decide I'm gonna be for these guys or for those guys put his stakes there and then fight for that crowd and deliver for that crowd. And like Harold, then you create an, an excitement because people will feel like you're fighting for them in their interest. Absolutely. And like and like uh, Maynard Jackson did in Atlanta, he completely changed the Amer- He changed Atlanta. He changed the American South. He changed America. He absolutely did that in the heart of Dixie and sending much love to his family because his first wife, Miss Bonnie, passed away. She taught my parents in college, I found out some years ago. Wow. Uh, The former first lady of the great city of Atlanta. Everybody get out and vote. Don't let the minority make a majority decision for you. Get out and vote. Dr. Bob Stark said it. We've got to get our voting um, above 30%, above 40 above 50 Everybody needs to vote. Do not, you are an adult. You don't like other people making decisions for you. You wouldn't want someone pulling the plug on you. Well, when you don't vote, someone's pulling the plug on you without your permission. 